Welcome to the Final Score Network and the Final Score Podcast, presented by Team Anders Realtors. I'm Andy. He's former D3 student athlete, two-year starter, consummate glue guy, and co-host... Ryan! Cam! Two-man monster flush! Off the inbound! Ryan Cam Slam Jam! Find us on Podbean, the Apple Podcast Store, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at TheFinalScore35. There is always plenty to run through, but before we get to it, a word from our presenting sponsor. Service from the heart to become your Realtors for Real Life is Team Anders Realtors' mission. Team Anders helps its clients find the home that best fits their needs and makes the process simple and fun along the way. Team Anders will be in close communication with you personally taking care of your real estate needs through technology, marketing, and advertising. They have served thousands of clients over 30 plus years in the Grand Rapids, Michigan area, and are here to serve you today. Learn more at teamanders.com. It's here. College football kicks off this weekend. We won't have a weekend until sometime this winter without real, no preseason doesn't count, college or pro football. Hallelujah. Not to be forgotten, the FedEx Cup playoffs are down to 70, 69 actually, as Patrick Reed recovers from bilateral pneumonia, of all things. Get well soon, Patrick, even if we're not necessarily huge fans. Um, And we're two weeks away from making someone even richer in golf. Speaking of golf, kudos to the staff at Liberty National for making a course that got over nine inches of rain in about 36 hours spectacularly playable. For the Monday finish. And tip of the cap to Frozone, aka Tony Finau, for finally getting that long-awaited second win. NFL cuts will happen in earnest by this time next week. The Big Ten Pac-12 ACC alliance is official, as official as a handshake agreement can get anyway. Major League Baseball is getting more attention worthy. It's a good time to have a sports pod. That out of the way, Let's go to the podium. Ryan, the lectern is yours. Yep. Um, congrats to Tony on the big win. Uh, it's been five years, so congrats to him. Getting over the hump, maybe he'll open the floodgates. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to start today talking about the the alliance, the gentleman's agreement between the Big Ten, ACC, and Pac-12. Um, kind of talks about it later last week, and then official word, um, little Zoom press conference with the three commissioners, uh, George Klyovkov, uh Kevin Warren, I believe, and then um, Jim Phillips from the ACC. Um, yeah, basically all, obviously, in reaction to Oklahoma and Texas leaving the Big 12 for the SEC. Um, they're all just, it's nothing crazy. It's just all of them kind of getting in alignment, trying to maybe do some scheduling stuff, um, stuff with CFP. Uh, and where's the Big 12 fit into this? That's the real question. We'll know that. I don't know when. Um but I'm sure Greg Sankey um, is a little angry um, that they're kind of forming this alliance to SEC, man. But I, it had to happen. Uh, it's three against one now. And if Bob Bullsby, if they can try to keep the Big 12 going or what. But I, I don't know. It's just it's crazy. Um, there's no contract, which is kind of concerning. Um, but I think there probably will be one. Definitely going to be expansion talks heating up with the CFP here. Um yeah, and scheduling's gonna look look good, um, especially in, in hoops. Talking about doing some midseason stuff uh, with these conferences, 
that'd be kind of fun. Um, but yeah, just just interesting stuff. If you want to look more into it, I, I don't really know a ton about it yet. Uh, it's, it's just very vague. So um, yeah, do your research if you're interested. Um, but interesting, interesting stuff here uh, to start off this week uh, of college football. I highly recommend The Athletic. Um, if you need a free trial, I can give you a free trial. Hit us up on Twitter and ask for it. Um, you can get a free 30 days. It is worth every penny of the subscription over any other sports site out there, period. Um, they've got a ton of coverage from a lot of different angles on the Alliance. Um, I think it will become a little bit more official when they can kind of iron out some of the scheduling things and stuff like that. But I think that's the biggest boon for fans is the scheduling part because you're going to see a lot more cross across those conferences obviously there's already some of that going on michigan state for example just happens to play miami from the acc this year for example um michigan plays washington from the pac-12 i mean you got plenty of that kind of stuff the interesting outlier will be both notre dame and what does happen like ryan said with the big 12 i could see that going a couple ways the pac-12 is set to announce and haven't really tipped their hand if they're going to do anything in expansion I could see them grabbing a couple teams if that happens and it feels like the Big 12 is really going to go away. I could see the Big 10 probably picking up a couple of more teams to get to 16. Um, maybe the ACC could could sway Notre Dame and grab one other. You know, don't know. Could the Big 12 pick up some teams from the AAC? I don't know. Interesting times, but I do like the alliance. It's definitely a middle finger flip to the SEC for their knee-jerk reaction. Um, they've got power in numbers. They've got a lot of similarities. It's founded, per they say, in academics. But there's power in numbers sometimes, and I, I think uh, it'll be really interesting to see how that shakes out. All right, so for me, for my take, um, this could just as easily be in our tee-up slash personal foul, but um, this piece of news came down a day after the pod last week and surprisingly hasn't gotten a lot of play in Michigan, although I admit I have cut out about all local news sources these days. Yeah, I think you know why. Um, so maybe people are talking. I don't know. Anyway, let me just ask, what in the absolute you-know-what is Michigan State University President Stanley thinking? If you missed it, Tom Izzo offered to provide some stability and leadership on an interim basis for the AD job that Bill Beekman recently vacated. He has no interest in the job, stated no interest in the job at this at this time. Maybe he will in a few years. Um, AKA he doesn't want to be George Perlis circa the early nineties where he's doing a power play for football coach, you know, in this case, basketball coach and AD. That's, that's not what exists is OCs, what the need is, but not only did Stanley basically give him the good, I don't need your ass anyway. He is not involving Izzo or Tucker in the search process. Again, WTAF trying to alienate the face and heart of Michigan State University? Yo, Stanley, is it, it is not all that uncommon to allow high-profile, high-performing, high-revenue-yielding employees a seat at the table in the selection process. Yep, lots of people interview their prospective boss to see if there's going to be a fit, so on and so forth. The last thing we need is somebody like you as athletic director. After all, these guys have to work with a new athletic director. You, President Stanley, are single-handedly destroying Michigan State in so many ways right now. This is just the tip of the iceberg for me. How are you still president? You're in over your head and pissing off the soul of Michigan State sports in the process. 
do us all a favor and go away. Go back to Stony Brook, SUNY, wherever you came from. And as for Michigan State, they better get this right. They need another Hollis, not another Merrily Dean Baker. All right, for TF this at this time of the year, our personal foul of the week, Ryan is going to tell you who, and I will tell you why. Yep, this week uh, we didn't have much, uh, not too much going on in the world of sports that's worth a big personal foul. But we're gonna we're gonna give a little personal foul, throw the flag on the SEC and just their money chasing garbage uh, that we've touched on in the last month. But here goes a tee up. Yeah, Greg Sankey and SEC, you get the personal foul this week. Again, not an, an overt thing. This has kind of been ongoing. We were scouring just even before the pod to see if there was somebody that did something stupid because there almost inevitably always is. But we're going to give it to him and or the SEC for starting the true every man for himself all-out money grab that, coupled with out-of-control NIL, will negatively change the face of college sports forever. The Alliance is a response to that. I think it's a good response to that. At least on the surface, there's the word academics in there. The SEC is all about money. They know that they they are pretty much neck and neck with the Big Ten. The Big Ten holds its water against the SEC because the Big Ten goes deeper in some of the other sports. But, man, thank you so much, Sankey, tongue-in-cheek, for basically ruining what was left of true college sports. All right. That all out of the way, let's go four downs. For first down today, we will bring the remaining two Big Ten East previews. Ryan will take you through Michigan State, as he already did um, position by position earlier, and I will cover Ohio State. Um, Then I'll recap the overall Big Ten East picks, too, from worst to first. Go ahead, Ryan. Yeah, uh, I'm not going to take too much time to go over guys um, in depth because I did that before. Don't want you to have to hear that again. But, yeah, Michigan State, um, Mel Tucker, year two. Um, Yeah, interesting stuff. Um, Honestly, I think this team is the biggest wildcard team in the Big Ten East and just in the Big Ten in general. Uh, I think this is a team that could go four and eight for real, or go eight and four. I, I really don't know, or somewhere in between, which is where I'm. We are guessing, and I am guessing. Um, I just don't think we know enough yet about some of the guys, the transfers, um, what's going to happen with schemes and whatnot. Guys buying in uh, to the new stuff. Michigan State's kind of done. Had little time last year to do that, and then had a full spring this year. Good summer um, in the weight room working out and then having a good fall camp uh, to date and getting ready for a game next Friday in Evanston against the Wildcats. Um, but, yeah, quarterback race is still tight. Yet to name a starter. Uh, trying to do that here soon. Um, Russo or uh, Peyton Thorne, I think, are two really good um, options at quarterback. Uh, I, I, I personally would like to see Thorne out there, but if Russo beats out Thorne, then I think that Russo is probably pretty decently legit um, because – Thorne showed us towards the end of last year what he's capable of, which is which is good. Um, glad there's competition there, and it's not just some easy thing. Both guys are fighting hard, and if one doesn't do well, we can play the other one and see what happens. Uh, so maybe a little Connor Cook situation circa 2013, probably not a Rose Bowl in sight this year, but maybe we'll get to an Outback Bowl, 8-4, you never know. But uh, Mission State, like I've talked about in the past, probably one of the better running back rooms in the Big Ten, four legit guys that can, can start – um, Kenneth Walker, Elijah Collins, that gives you a heck of a one-two punch. Literally two re- starters for most teams. Uh, Jordan Simmons, a really, really nice back. 
And then Harold Joyner, who's come on strong, Mel Tucker's raved about him here in the past couple weeks. Big back, 6'3", 215. Um, should be interesting to see him. I think Michigan State is a top three receiving core in the Big Ten. Uh, Jalen Naylor, Jaden Reed, apparently Montori Foster, number 83. Sophomore this year is turning into a stud. Uh, Keon Coleman's a freshman. There's a lot of guys to look out for at that position. Um, so secondaries, be aware. Um, offensive line has to be steady for Michigan State. We talked about that. Um, it's looking good so far. No injuries yet. Uh, knock on wood. Uh, hopefully it stays that way. D-line, I think, is the strength of this ball club. Injury right now, Jacob Slade, he's in a cast on his wrist, so maybe he'll be out, but who knows. Hopefully that's something we can get through, uh, but hopefully that'll be a good, good, strong position for Michigan State and they can bank on make on a good line. Uh, linebacker, an, an area where I've been concerned, and many are. Um, Mel said yesterday, five guys doing really well at linebacker that can play. Um, says they're in much better shape at that position than they were back at the start of the spring so that's good to hear hopefully they're getting that weeding guys out and gonna have some good options there and the secondary will be interesting uh only one corner returning like i said a few pods ago cologne durbin's the only one back with experience uh at the cornerback position lots of transfers freshmen uh should be interesting but but yeah it's gonna be fun um go through michigan state's schedule here what we think is going to shape up uh week one at northwestern next week we think Michigan State's going to get the win. Uh, home against Youngstown State, we have them for a W. Uh, week three going to Miami, that's not going to be an easy game. Miami's a top 25 team, uh, have as a loss. Week four, home against Nebraska, win. Um, week five against Western Kentucky, homecoming night game, uh, 7.30 kickoff, BTN, win. Uh, at Rutgers, we have as a loss. Then the next week, travel to Indiana, have as a loss, then a bye week. Then the Wolverines come down. We think Michigan State's going to get a dub. We think we think uh, Mel's got the number of good old Jimmy, uh, the quarterback whisperer, not. Um, and then week 10, uh, have us going to um, West Lafayette and losing to the Boilermakers, a place where Michigan State hasn't played well in the past. Uh, and then getting a win against Maryland next week. Um, then second to last week at Ohio State, loss, definitely a loss there. And then... Um, Home against Penn State to end the season. Have that as a win. Maybe a little upset there, uh, which has Michigan City going 2-1 and one out of conference, 5-4 and four in conference, which is good for tied for third in the Big Ten East, 7-5 and five overall, and a trip to Viva Las Vegas, the famous Las Vegas bowl game. All right, thanks, Ryan. Good coverage on Michigan State. And going back through those uh, preseason previews as well, if you missed any of those, you can always catch those. Those are um, previously probably most of July we went through week by week. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm going to cover the last team in the Big Ten East, and then we will uh, just quick recap the overall picks uh, just to catch you up if you've missed them. Ohio State, let's be 100% honest and clear. The East is Ohio State and everyone else, and it isn't even close. You can love Indiana or think Penn State will bounce back, or drink the annual Harbaugh Kool-Aid, but no way Ohio State gets unseated in the East this year. They are too good, even when replacing amazing players like Justin Fields, to name one. It's never a rebuild in Columbus, always a reload, and this year will be no different. I'll get more into players in a minute, but speaking of Fields, the Bucks really have four quarterbacks in the mix if you include Quinn Ewers, 
who decided the NIL money was too valuable to pass up and ditched his senior year of high school. It's crazy. We talked about that a few weeks ago. This is just a demo of how the rich just get richer. But that's what the best programs do. They replace and they don't skip a beat like Bama last year, like Clemson when Sunshine was out with COVID last year. Don't fret for the scarlet and gray and with that and with what they have to replace because they have an embarrassment of riches everywhere. The question is, can they replace all the output from last season and get that natty this year, which has escaped them the last few efforts? As for key players, for starters, all eyes are going to be on C.J. Stroud, who was recently named the starting quarterback. He beat out Jack Miller. Um, Ewers obviously clearly isn't quite ready. I mean, he's basically a high school senior. Uh, Ohio State has had some outstanding college quarterbacks over the last decade. I say college because not one is yet to be the study was projected to be in the NFL. So whether Stroud all um, all year or one of the others mixing in or some sort of a combination, the system will make quarterback shine at the shoe this year because quarterback always shines at the shoe. Ohio State is flat loaded at wide receiver. Michigan State, Ryan mentioned, is right up there. Probably, definitely, uh, definitely okay. second fiddle to Ohio State. Uh, Chris Olave came back. He's a stud. Garrett Wilson's a stud. Jackson Smith, Jigba, back. Um, then they had super stud recruit, Emeka Gigbuka. They've got so many crazy names on this team. Um, at running back, Master Teague is a load, and he's got company and freshman to watch. Travion Henderson might be the best running back in the Big Ten this year when it's all is said and done. And even with the most replacement going on up front, I think Ohio State's replacing three guys up front. Remember, Ohio State pounded some teams on their schedule last year with second and third string guys. <clears throat> Michigan State was one of them. Yep, the Bucks O oh, should be otherworldly yet again. Can they put up, I don't know, something like 51 points and 419 yards a game? I don't know if they can be quite that good, but they'll be good. As for the other side of the ball, last year's Buckeye defense was pretty average by their standards, and yet they were runner-ups for the Natty. Only five starters returned from that less than OSU caliber D. So is that a good thing or a bad thing? Not sure yet. Time will tell, um, given the teams the nuts face to start the season, and we'll get to their schedule in a minute. Ohio State is looking at a 4-2-5 base alignment this season, just like Michigan State, which gets the strength of the team, guys that are safeties, or, you know, safeties that can play linebacker, linebackers that can play safety, more in play. Um, the best player is arguably seven banks, but this Ohio State team doesn't have the, quite that top five NFL pick type of corner that stands out that they typically do. Not yet, anyway. Banks could definitely get there. There are plenty of hybrid guys at safety. Thus, again, the four-two-five where the athletes can get on the field. But will that back five hold up against guys like Penix this year? It will surely help if the stud D-line can improve in pass rush which seems odd to say about Ohio State, given the Bosa brothers and, and some of the other, Chase, Chase Young, Young yeah. you know, I mean, some of the other studs they've had. But the front four will be beasts against the run, and the, and the defensive end combination of Tyreek Smith and Zach Harrison should be terrific. If super recruit Jack Sawyer turns into a factor, the ends will be absolute terrors. My gut says the OSU offense isn't quite as good as they were last year, but the D ends up being better, and the net is more of the same from the Buckeyes. Key games-wise, I love how the Buckeyes get right to it. Of course, some of these things are scheduled well in advance. They don't get to pick the Thursday night. TV picks it. But Thursday opener at Minnesota will be a great game to watch. That is, what, September 2nd? 
Um, home opener against the Ducks the next week. Oregon might not quite be what they will be later in the season as they're still trying to figure out their whole quarterback situation, but they have arguably the best defensive player in the country. Uh, Can't remember the name. Kevin Thibodeau, yeah, projecting top five. Defensive end. Um, and really, Tulsa isn't a bad mid-major. I mean, they've been steadily getting better over the last first couple of years. First so. round, early second round pick. So, I mean, their first few games are, you know, no cupcakes, uh, which is a good thing. Road games at Indiana and Michigan stand out as well in this schedule. Um, so, record game by game, it's probably not going to be too surprising based on what we've kind of previewed. We got them with a dub at Minnesota, beating Oregon, beating Tulsa, beating Akron. Um, in the Big Ten, absolutely owning the MAC this year. I think that will be 11 and 0 by the time is all said and done. Then they hit the road for Rutgers. That'll be a, a win, maybe a, cl- a close game. Come back home and they'll just absolutely destroy Maryland. Key game after the bye week at Indiana. Indiana is going to be hungry after the way they came back last year. I just don't think Indiana's got what it takes to beat Ohio State, but that is a game that you could look at as a potential upset. We still have it as a W. Penn State, they're probably going to reverse whiteout treatment on them. They're going to wipe Penn State. Nebraska, even in Lincoln, not going to be close. Home against Purdue, home against Michigan State. Um, this is not going to be 2015 Michigan State, Ohio State. This is probably going to be more likely, I don't know, one yeah, of those 2017, years. we lost 45 Yeah, there you go. Game. I mean, it's probably going to be ugly like it was last year in East Lansing. And then... Uh, the, their favorite whipping boy, Michigan, they're going to go up and, and perhaps put the final nail in Jim Harbaugh's Ann Arbor coaching uh, coffin with a dub there. So obviously you do the math. That's 3-0 and out of conference. That's 9-0 and in conference. Good for first place in the East. 12-0 and overall. And barring an upset in Indy, which, hey, has happened with Ohio State before and even last year was dicey with Northwestern, the Buckeyes head back to the CFP. No word yet. Because we don't know how the rest of it's going to shake out. If they'll, you know, win the Natty, but they'll certainly contend. All right, second down. The Big Ten East is now out of the way. Actually, before we get to the big, to that, let me recap the Big Ten East. So, just for those who've been following along, out of the Big Ten East, from worst to first. Let's see if I can read my writing in a semi-dark room here. We have. Um, Maryland. Maryland. Yes, thank you, Ryan. Going. 2-10, 0-9, finishing 7th. We have Rutgers going 6-6, six and 3-6 six, and six in the Big Ten, finishing 6th. We have a three-way tie for 3rd at 5-4 and four in conference and 7-5 and five overall, so a lot of parity between Indiana, Michigan, and Michigan State. And then we have Penn State in solo 2nd, going 6-3, and 9-3 and three overall. And then, of course, Ohio State, as we just said, going 9-0 and 12-0 and and overall. Um, so Ohio State a runaway by three games and a big pile up there between really Penn State to Rutgers and anything could happen among those those five teams. And yes, like we said here on the pod, we do not buy the hype on Maryland. We have them finishing smoking dead last. All right, now second down. So that was a false start on second down. Big Ten East out of the way. Um, let's go to the West. Ryan's going to cover Northwestern, and I'll preview Nebraska. Then we will recap the West. Yeah, Northwestern coming off a really good year last year. Obviously, uh, Big Ten West champions gave Ohio State a run for their money in the in the title game there. Um, lose Peyton Ramsey as a starter, but they've got Pat Fitzgerald back for year 16. That's hard to believe. Uh, 106 and 81 overall. He's not that old. No, he's not. He's 
probably late 40s, early 50s. Um, Younger than me. Yeah, he's a great coach. Um, definitely can see why NFL teams are trying to lure him away, but definitely uh, seems like a Northwestern lifer, and he's done he's done really good things for Northwestern. I, I really like and respect uh, Coach Fitzgerald down in Evanston, but this roster's going to be a little different than last year. Um, lose Peyton Ramsey as a starter, lost a couple running backs, uh, lose Chucky O'Bowman, their star, their star receiver from last year, um, lose a couple offensive linemen, lose um, an All-American corner. I can't remember what his name was. Um, shoot, what was it? I can't remember. It'll come to me. But uh, Hunter Johnson was just named the starting quarterback last week over South Carolina transfer Ryan Holinsky, who many thought would be the starter. Um, he's a, Hunter Johnson's a Clemson transfer. Uh, came in 2019, was immediately eligible. Was not great, very shaky, um, but he obviously earned it. Um, at running back, a position where they have a couple guys back that play a little bit. Cam Porter was supposed to be the stud lead back, had a good freshman year last year. Season-ending knee injury they announced last week. He's out for the year. Not good stuff, not good to have that. <clears throat> a couple weeks before game day, Evan Hull is the guy now at running back. He he has some experience, so could be decent. Fairly veteran offensive line returned three starters. Uh, lost one to a knee injury the same day, actually, as Cam Porter. So not a good day there. And that was the same day they announced starting quarterback. So weird stuff coming out of Evanston. But very unproven at wide out. They need to you know, shore stuff up. they got a few guys that have a little bit of experience but nothing crazy. Uh, switching the defensive side of the ball. A uh, couple guys on their D-line. Uh, Sam Dup Miller, that's an interesting name. And then I'm going to butcher the heck out of this. Add to Mawa. At a barway, the two starting defensive ends return, um, hold down the D-line. should be probably the strength of their defense, aside from uh, Brandon Joseph, who is projected as a first-round pick um, for many people, playing safety for the Wildcats. Definitely a Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year candidate. Uh, and then lose all but one of their starting linebackers uh, from last year. Patty Fisher's gone, who's a stud for four years there. Uh, Bryce Gallagher's back. His brother was good for him last the last couple years. Um, uh, he's going to be their star linebacker. And, uh, yeah, so Northwestern should be interesting to see what they do. Um, definitely be competitive, I mean, for the most part, in their fits, aside from a couple years. But years ago, they are usually in contention for a bowl game. Um, and we're going to start off with Michigan State doing their schedule. Obviously, I have that as an L. Just talk about Michigan State. <clears throat> Week two, playing the Indiana State Sycamores, the fighting Larry Birds, have that as a win. Then they go down to Raleigh Durham and play the Blue Devils. Uh, in basketball, that would be a loss, but in football, it's going to be a win. Duke's projected to finish dead last in the ACC under Coach Cutcliffe. Uh, definitely a guy we respect, but Duke football had their one good year in 2013 or whatever that was. Now they're bad. Um, Week four, home against Ohio, have as a win. Uh, Frank Solis just left, so Ohio's probably kind of in shambles. Week five, have them going to Nebraska, losing. Um, then they have a bye. Home against Rutgers, have that as a win. At Michigan, lost. Probably be a close game. They always play them tough, but that's a hard place to win, and they don't usually beat Michigan, so have that as an L. Um, home against Minnesota, have that as a win. Home, or home against Iowa, have that as a loss to the Hawkeyes there in week 10, November 6th. Uh, the next week, go to Wisconsin. Definitely have that as an L. Wisconsin will be very tough, as we talked about on a previous pod. And then home against Purdue, uh, senior day, have that as a win. And then at Illinois, to finish it off, definitely have that as a win. Illinois is going to struggle a little bit. And if you're keeping score at home, that's 3-0 out of conference. 
four and five in the Big Ten West, good for tied for third, and seven and five overall, heading to the greatest bowl game of all time, the Red Box Bowl. <laughs> Seven six or whatever it yeah, was, Michigan Oregon. State lost in that uh, a couple years ago. Uh, awful. All right, I'm going to give you Nebraska, and then our previews will be done. Stop me if you've heard this one since Nebraska joined the Big Ten some time ago. If there isn't a bull bid in winning season in Lincoln this fall, the Huskers might be looking for a new head coach again. Yep, that's right. Golden boy Scott Frost hasn't made a dent in the mediocrity that has plagued Nebraska for the last several years. And now with some of the off-the-field eyebrow-raising news of the past couple of weeks in the way of violations, though nothing in and of itself a fireable offense, there is clearly an avenue out via not having to pay a huge buyout if it's another dud in middle USA this autumn. The Cornhuskers had some moments last year. They went three and five. Not not awful, but again, Big Ten West, three and five is probably equivalent to two or one win in the East. The offense did produce, at least on the ground, but this isn't frost days of the power eye or option in the 90s. He was brought in in part for what he did offensively at UCF, and he lost some key guys to transfer, uh, some produ- production guys on offense. He needs to see it go up another level, and um, Nebraska maybe stop coughing up the ball like it's a hot potato, too. That might help. They did it a lot last year, a lot of turnovers. I personally like Frost and don't think he's the issue, but Nebraska is fighting a lot of schools in places they used to own recruiting-wise. And let's face it, while the beef there is amazing, the people of Lincoln are as nice as it gets, and the farmers, never mind, winning would help on the recruiting trail. Can they get that done? Hmm. Key players. As with every team, quarterback play is critical for Nebraska to take that leap. The Huskers lost Luke McCaffrey to the transfer portal, so that means this is unquestionably Adrian Martinez's gig. Can he deliver a better vertical attack to go with the stud running game? Time will tell, but it won't be easy with very little coming back at wide receiver. I think the leading guy coming back had 12 catches last year. Tight ends should be loaded, including an Iowa transfer, and we know all about Iowa tight ends. But unless those guys can stretch the field, it will be more of the same a la the vertical attack in 2021. Marvin Scott, Gabe Irvin, and if healthy, USC transfer Marquis Stepp will be formidable runners behind a slightly retooled O-line. They do lose probably their two, arguably their two best blockers, run blockers out of the line. But, you know, Nebraska's going to have some beefy guys up front. And they should be okay there. Captain agrees. If the offense is going to take some time to get on track, that means the defense and its nine returning starters has got to be the difference maker. Guys have to step up and deliver now that there is plenty of experience there. The D-line is the strength, and with some depth and some solid playmakers like Ben Still, if not some questions on whether enough pass rush can be consistently generated. JoJo Doman Anchors a good, if not great, linebacking core. In the backfield, Nebraska was able to get by Purdue despite being torched, but Justin Fields went 20 of 21 against their DBs. Illinois won by hitting 72% of its passes against that defensive backfield, and there were just five picks all season long. The corners are tall. They've got a guy that's 6'4". That's, that's really big. That's safety size that can you know play cover corner. And they could settle in nicely, um, and then you've got the super senior 
safety tandem of Deontay Williams and Markel Dismuke. Um, they're great as a tandem. But how will it all play out? The D is going to have to win a game or two if Frost is to keep his job. All right, key games-wise, all eyes will be on Nebraska this weekend already. Uh, the Illinois game was supposed to be in Dublin, kind of an odd game if you ask me to put in Ireland, but whatever. Um, but it will be in Champaign instead. A win there to start off the season is an absolute must. Oklahoma looks for an old, you know, looks like an old-fashioned rivalry game in Week Three, but um, this is not Barry versus Tom. This could be ugly. In fact, the Big Ten West isn't too daunting, but the Huskers draw Michigan and Ohio State from the East and have to go to East Lansing, so you probably trade in Penn State from either Michigan or, or Michigan State, maybe Indiana, but still, that's three tough teams um, cross divisional. So, game-by-game game record. Here you go, Huskers fans. We got them with a dub against Illinois this weekend. We've got them, then they have a week off, early season bye. They actually have two. They're one of, uh, only they and Illinois, because they play in week zero, have two byes. So theirs is week one. So they're back week two against Buffalo. That's a W. Then they go to Oklahoma. I mean, that's going to be a bloodbath, especially if they wear those weirdy, Big red, little red, whatever <laughs> uniforms we talked about last week. L out of Oklahoma. Going to be so humiliated off of that. They're going to go up to East Lansing and lay an egg there. Although they do tend to play Michigan State well in East Lansing usually. Got them bouncing back with a win against Northwestern. Uh, a close loss to Michigan. A game that could probably go either way. But a game that we have as a loss in Lincoln. That's when the, the natives are definitely going to start to get restless. Because they're going to follow that up with a loss to Minnesota. Then there's a bye week. Things start to look up with a win against Purdue, but then Ohio State comes calling, and that is going to be another ugly L. Uh, then Southeast Louisiana, they're going SEC in the in the middle of November and playing a directional school from the South. That's a W. Makes people feel a little bit better, like, hey, maybe we could steal one of these last two and get into a bowl game. Not going to happen. It's Wisconsin and Iowa back-to-back. That Iowa game is kind of a mini rivalry game. Loss-loss. All said and done, that's two and one out of conference. That's three and six in conference. Good for fifth place in the West. Five and seven. And sorry, Cornhuskers, it's just not going to be your year this year. The question is, will that five and seven with games against Ohio State, Michigan, Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin, so arguably some of the better teams in the Big Ten, plus Oklahoma, be enough to keep Frost's job? No one. We'll know in December. The question is, where do they go next? Because Frost is a Nebraska guy. All right, before we go to third down, let me recap the West for you. So, recapping it from bottom to top, we have Illinois going, uh, landing in solo seventh, going one and eight, and then the, in the West or yeah, in the West or overall in the Big Ten, three and nine overall. Then we've got it down to Purdue finishing sixth, going two and seven in conference, four and eight overall. Then we've got Nebraska, who we just talked about, finishing fifth, three and six, five and seven overall. Then we've got a couple of T3s in Minnesota, going four and five in the conference, seven and five overall. Same for Northwestern. That leaves us with, if you're keeping track at home, five teams in the Big Ten going seven and five this year. So parity amongst the middle will be huge. Um, we've got Iowa in solo second, going seven and two, nine and three overall. And then we have Wisconsin 
going 9-0, just like Ohio State, and 11-1, and setting up what should be a great Big Ten championship game. Um, and who knows, if Wisconsin gets Ohio State there, then I think probably Wisconsin earns that bid uh, based on their strength of schedule into the CFP, so that should be interesting. Obviously, that's not how we picked it, but um, very well could happen. All right, third down. If it's third down, typically, or our third spot, usually uh, when we've got around the world, it must mean a Mount Rushmore is coming. Sure enough, let's further whet the appetite for college football's week zero by sharing our Mount Rushmore of college football rivalries. There are bound to be plenty of overlaps between the big fella and me on this one, but let's see if one of us can surprise the other one. Ryan, I'll let you go first. Yeah, uh, I'm going to start off with with an obvious one. Um, that's Michigan, Ohio State. Uh, bad blood between the two. Um, I, I don't even remember. When Michigan won, I think it was 2011. I don't even remember that they had won that game. So, uh, But it's been one-sided lately, but obviously a historic rivalry. Um, both just absolutely despised one another. Yeah, what, like two, three wins maybe for Michigan since 20, two, 2003 or so? Yeah, I mean, not, it's, not, a it's lot. not been much of a rivalry. Oh, the games, there have been some classic games for sure, but it's not, you know, results-wise, it's not been much of a rivalry. But it's definitely, yeah. it's hard to argue with that. Going back to, uh, you know, the Bo and Woody days, definitely had that on my list. I'm going to go out there with Army-Navy. To me, um Obviously, they fight side by side uh, when it's not when it doesn't come to football. I'm not much of a reader, but a great book if you're ever looking for a good read. Um, and it's from like mid '90s or so. John Feinstein, great sports writer. A Civil War um, follows a year of players for both Army and Navy as they prepare for that game. I think both of them probably were not very good then. Lately, Army's been better. Navy's been good for the last several years. So it makes it fun to watch. It's usually a standalone game on its day. Just the pageantry that goes around it. I personally have, um, you know, two or three family members that have gone to West Point. So I'm a, a diehard Go Army guy. Um, just absolutely love that game, though. The uniforms are sick. We talked about that last week, the different things that they come up with. Um, you know, a few years ago when Army got off the schneid, I think they broke like a 14-year losing streak. And that was just like, I mean, I even got caught up in the emotion of that and really I have no vested interest so it's that kind of a rivalry game it's a game everybody wants to watch you know it's a bunch of no names in fact one year um, I remember um, you know my dad worked for the secret service and he had a fellow agent whose son was his senior year the smallest starting left tackle in division one football played for navy and is now a fighter pilot so you got to imagine he can't be super big because those dudes wouldn't fit in a F-14 or whatever he flies these days, or F-16. Um, but, you know, just cool. You know, guys that you just, you don't know. They're not, you know, they probably don't even have any stars in their recruiting game. Um, but, you know, makes it a ton of fun. So that's that's probably my number one pick. Ryan, what do you got going second? Yeah, I had that as my second one. Echo everything you said, but I'll do a different one. Uh, the Red River, Red River Rivalry, the Red River Shootout, um, what it really is called. Uh, Texas Oklahoma watched this game for a long time. Always is fun. The pageantry that goes into it. Playing they used to play. They still play the Cotton yeah, Bowl, right? Yeah, the Cotton that's Bowl, so yeah. cool. Um, have all those fans there. Uh, it's just it's fun. It's always close, no matter what, even if one's bad. But Oklahoma 
for the most part, just dominated. This one, very similar to Ohio State, uh, Michigan, except for Texas won a couple years ago on the last-second field goal by Dicker the kicker. Um, but, yeah, just a fun, fun game. Uh, and one of the rare college games that is at a neutral site, Georgia-Florida would be another one that you know is played in Jacksonville every year. It's kind of like I like the neutral site, but at the same time, it would be really fun to kind of you know, I don't even know, not in my lifetime, I think they've always played at the Cotton Bowl, but it'd be kind of fun to go back to that back and forth. Um, you know, I mentioned Florida, Georgia, that didn't make my A list, but it's kind of on my B list. That's There's some there's some tension there, the little border war there. Um, kind of for my next one, you got to go Auburn, Alabama. I mean, that's an obvious one, but there have been some classics. I mean, especially in the last 10 years, you know, that winner has churned out some national champions. You got the kick six, which, sorry, Auburn fans, is still not as improbable or great as trouble with the snap. Uh, it just odds-wise, there's no way. Yes, it was a hundred and whatever nine-yard, hundred and eight-yard return. Great, is not as improbable as Michigan State against Michigan, which Ryan and I just watched the, that replay of that play again today. Pretty much a staple in our house every day. Um, but that game, just the the bad blood. I mean. You talk about rivalry. You know, there used to be stories in the 70s and the 80s where, like, you wouldn't talk to family members anymore. I mean, people would murder each other, and I'm not advocating for that. But, I mean, you talk about blood sport. You talk about bragging rights. I mean, that game has it. And usually, you know, especially lately, but even over history, has has meant something in the national picture, which makes it pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely a fun game. Uh, had that on, as next on my list. Uh, I'll go to a different one. Let's see. Let's go with um, we'll go we'll USC Notre Dame. Um, lots of really good games in that rivalry. The Bush push um, is one that just comes to mind. I remember watching that uh, happen in, in real time. I think it was 2005, long, long time ago. Um, but yeah, just always they've always had bad blood as well and. It's it's always fun the the different different uh, fans that come out for that game. I mean it's it's packed no matter what. Usually a night game, get it back this year. It's always baby. classic too. It's uh, you know Notre Dame in South Bend when it's in its mid October and it's always right. end of the season Thanksgiving weekend when it's at USC, which is kind of cool. So yeah. yeah, I would definitely that's definitely a great rivalry. One that has not been played in a long time, and one of the good things out of the new um, SEC, um, you know, boon of grabbing Texas and Oklahoma, or vice versa, Texas and Oklahoma asking their way in, or perhaps begging their way in, is the return of Texas, Texas A&M. I think we've spoken about that a little bit here before, but as a kid, before they played, you know, 12 NFL games, it's actually only three, but, you know, when it was always Lions and Bears almost every year and then it was Cowboys and whoever as the second game the night game on Thanksgiving was Texas Texas A&M I mean it was a classic Texas A&M kind of always has that you know feeling of second fiddle a lot like we do as Michigan State fans over the years to Michigan Texas gets more play in Texas than Texas A&M so Texas A&M fans are pissed off just like we have the same thing with Michigan Um, that makes it a great rivalry I can't wait to see that happen again it just was you know, lots of fantastic games. I just remember that as a as a kid watching on Thanksgiving night. You know, eating the leftovers and watching that game, um, just always a classic. So I've I've got that on my list as as my third probably. Yeah, and I'm just gonna go through a few other ones that I had um, since we were 
Have we done four? Is that no, I think that's three. Maybe oh, it's, it's only four. three? That was only three. Okay. Then I'll go with my last one. We'll go the world's biggest cocktail party, uh, Florida-Georgia, the border rivalry. Um, yeah, there's a reason why it's called the world's biggest cocktail party. I always played in Jacksonville, big tailgate. People go crazy. Uh, have had some really, really good games um, in the past in my life. One stands out to me is when Georgia sent their entire team to celebrate the first touchdown in a game. Uh, you know, when Mark Rick was coach and Georgia mm-hmm. hadn't been doing much at that point in time. And it was like, it was a scene. <laughs> it was a scene, but it was pretty cool. That's for sure. Yeah, that's that's definitely up there. Always fun to watch that one toward the end of the year as well. Yeah, I mean, I for my fourth one, I mean, I just kind of had a list because I, you know, more wanted to talk about it than necessarily pick the four best because there's a lot of good ones. I, I kind of like Notre Dame Navy. I mean, it hasn't been much of a rivalry, but they always play. I like um, UCLA, USC, both wear their home colors. Mm-hmm. So you got the Garnett against the Powder Blues, no matter if they're playing at the Coliseum or at the Rose Bowl. That's a cool one. Florida State, Miami, more, mm-hmm. you know, back 80s, 90s, um, both, you know, kind of Thug U versus Thug U 2.0, a lot of the wide rights, but that's always been a vintage. I've been able to be at one of those. Um, with the Amway Coaches Trophy back when they had that. Um, you know, it flies under the radar as underrated, but Michigan State, Michigan. And Absolutely. it's always been big to Michigan State fans, but I do think D'Antonio put that game back on the map after all the Mark, Mike Hart stuff in 2007. Um, and it's been an absolute battle and swung in Michigan State's way more since then. Um, but, you know, there's always something about that game, especially in the state of Michigan. It's important to the guys who live in Michigan for sure. You know, another one we'll get to revisit this year. Unfortunately, the teams aren't their vintage 70s teams, but Nebraska, Oklahoma, back when Oklahoma ran the wishbone. And, um, you know, Nebraska ran the uh, the option. I mean, that was another vintage game. They always played each other to see who was going to go to the Orange Bowl, which inevitably was in challenge for the national championship. Um, so many great games. The good news is we get to kick it off. Yes. Yeah. I, I have a couple more I want to touch on real quick. Bedlam, um, mm, Oklahoma, yeah. Oklahoma State, that's mm-hmm. definitely a fun one. The Civil War. Can't call Oregon, it that anymore. Nope, the Civil War, Oregon State, Oregon. Uh, the Holy War, Utah, BYU. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely a fun one. Backyard Brawl, old school, West Virginia Pit. That was always fun. Egg Bowl. Back in the Big East, I had the Egg Bowl on there, um, which is Miss, Mississippi, Mississippi State. State versus Ole Miss. Clemson, South Carolina, Bama, LSU, and the Apple Cup, Washington and Washington State. Yeah, I always I just remember as a as a kid, you know, when you'd see the scroll on the old ABC when they didn't play too many games during the week, you know, and you'd see those Wash Wash versus Wash State or or versus Or State, you know, like you knew that it was a rivalry weekend or it was a rivalry game. All right, fourth down. Back to the golf course, and we'll have a few more of these, I think, this year. Not too many more new rounds in terms of courses we haven't already reviewed left this year, but a handful, especially as we get into October, we'll be playing American Dunes, which will be pretty sweet to review. Um, but despite an incredible, incredibly forgettable front nine this time, so I went combo from last week at Thornapple Point, this week front nine at Stoughton Bray, 104. Now, since then, fortunately, I shot an 83 on Sunday at Boulder Creek here, our home course, and things are all, I'm happy to report, are all in a lot better shape. But despite that forgettable front nine, um, we're going to give a good review to the top 100 
public course as rated by golf magazine, Stoughton Bray, which is, by the way, Scottish for Grand Hill. Stoughton Bray sits on one of the highest points in Kalamazoo, uh, Kalamazoo County, that is. And the views are sweeping, I will say. I mean, there's nothing, it's mostly just trees and things like that that you're looking at, but it's, it's a pretty sweet view. It is wide open. Um, though somehow I managed to lose eight balls in the fescue, which the starter slash ranger warns you isn't worth traipsing through uh, when he gets you set to tee off, and um, he was right. Although I did find probably about as many as I lost. Uh, part of those were dead shots into um, you know into the stuff, but as many as half were actually balls that we saw bounce off the very firm fairways and rough and then disappear. So that kind of course. Um, I'm not sure I would say it's a top 100 in the country, and it's probably only about fifth for me in the state of Michigan, but it was a great course and well worth the hour and 15-minute drive for us. Uh, You don't get too many true Scottish Lynx-style courses, and this was an absolute true Scottish Lynx-style course. Ryan, what do you got for just kind of an overview? Any just general thoughts? Yeah, definitely a fun course. Uh, definitely one I want to play again. Not overly long or anything, but it's the definition of links golf. I mean, there's not a tree um, in play on the, on the golf course. Um, really firm fairways, like you said. Firm greens, not receptive at all, but the greens were like impossible. Uh, only a 119 slope, which is pretty low. I mean, the courses we normally play are mid 120s to 130 uh, to 130, and I. This is probably the trickiest greens I've played all year, aside from Harbor Town and Arcadia yeah. Bluffs. And only 122 from from the tips. We were playing the second from yeah, the back, I, but like 119, no way. I mean, they need to re-rate that because yeah, it was that definitely uh, that's off. Yeah, the the pins were in positions where you could not attack. If you tried to attack them, the ball would go off. I mean, you and I both had a couple where the shot looked really good and it just bounced off the green and rolled long, and you got mm-hmm. a terrible shot coming up. Really, pretty wide fairways and stuff, which is kind of fun. Uh, but like I said, definitely would play again. Fun course, um, beautiful, beautiful views. Pretty new, I think it opened in twenty. Yeah, it's like five years old, maybe sixteen. Yeah. yeah, it's not very, very old at all. So definitely will get better as time goes on. Part of that Gold Lake View property. Um, they got six courses, I believe now. Um, really fun. Played three of them now, and looking forward to play the other three. But yeah, definitely fun. The greens, like I said. They're not fast or anything. Like, probably, what would they probably roll? Like a ten on the. Yeah, they were very like British Open style. You know, like you hear about the PGA guys when they go over there, they put lead tape on their putters because they need more weight to get themselves to hit the ball harder because the greens are that much slower. So I would say, I mean, it's not like they were, you know, not true. They were they rolled very well. They were very well kept. They just. They, the, the grass was just a little bit longer and they were a little bit slower, so it was a little tougher to get used to. But Yeah, that brings me to my to our rating. I think the greens are definitely a four. Um, yeah, I, I've kind of figured them out at the end, but <clears throat> definitely tricky. Yeah, they were huge. They were undulating. Um, you know, Not quite to the point of Arcadia Bluffs, but definitely like quadrants on the green. And, you know, you really, you almost kind of like need a yardage book to know which quadrant to hit it to. Because like Ryan said, if you got a downslope at one that looked really good, um, you could end up in the stuff behind. You could be, you know, in a squirrely lie in the rough off, just off the green or whatever. So tough from that perspective. Um, I would say, again, like you would expect in the in the open rota in terms of greens. And when you just got used to that, kind of cool. So I, right. I'll agree. I'd give it a four there. Um <clears throat> 
let's jump back up and do best hole or holes. Um, I'll go first. Nothing really stood out to me as like particularly amazing. Like, oh my gosh, I got to play that hole over and over and over and over again. But I'd say two and 10 were probably my favorites. Two is a long par three um, to one of those ginormous greens. Um, I was nowhere near it, but I had a decent chip back up and, and almost made the par. Um, but a huge green, that's kind of your first real view, like out over the hills. Um, and number 10 is kind of a, a little bit of a, a shorter par four, um, uphill, kind of an elevated green, probably this, the most sand heavy bunker green on the course, but that one stood out to me too. How about for, yeah, for 10 was probably my favorite, uh, overall two was also fun. Um, i trying to think. I also liked, the one, the part three right next to it, I think. What look at the scorecard now? Uh, number number eleven, fourteen. Yeah, oh, 14. that one was fun. Kind of oh, downhill, yeah, yeah, big yeah, one, yeah. hill behind the green. Very, very fun. A lot hole. of buried elephants there. That's for sure. Oh yeah. Uh, worst holes, you know, nothing for me that I would necessarily get rid of. I played a few extremely crappily, but the holes are all classic link style. Um, some have a little bit of swing to them. The rough is super unpredictable. It's firm. You're you could just as much hit it where you think, oh yeah, that's first cut. That's going to be fine. And you're sitting kind of between tufts of grass. So it's definitely a keep them on the fairway type of course. I don't know, Ryan, if you had any holes that you particularly didn't like. No, I mean I played poorly in a couple of them, but there was none where I nothing stands out. There's not usually a a hole on a golf course that I despise. uh, To be honest with you, yeah, I got a few, but I played a little bit longer. Like Quail Ridge. Yeah, Quail Ridge, that's a whole course just because it's so hard. All right, um, scenery-wise, I would say great views all around. We talked about that. You know, you truly are up on a point. We didn't even realize it last year, probably because it's kind of hidden. There's trees on the outskirts of the property, but you're, like, buttoned right up when you go to the back nine to Stonehenge South, which is a really good course and part of the Gold Lake View courses. Um, you know, scenery, it all looks pretty much the same, right? It's a Lynx course. There's, there's fescue or high grass or who knows what in, in there off to the sides there's you know bunkers no pot bunkers or anything like that but there's bunkers some holes don't have any sand um you know the greens are pretty incredible some are actually pretty small some are huge so there's you know from a viewpoint you know a good course i'd say you know great because you're up on a hill a body of water nearby to look at like one of the lakes nearby would have been nice but you know because they can't help that so I'll give it like, you know, three point seven five four there for scenery. Yeah, three point. I'll go three point five for scenery. Just nothing crazy, but definitely cool with the sweeping hill. I think the coolest part was the, the bunker, the little halfway house. Oh yeah, that was pretty shack. sweet. The, the yeah the the halfway house. You it's in true link style. You don't go back to the clubhouse. You're out to the course and you don't come back till eighteen. And you, they have a couple signs that you can get to it at a few different points in the course, but it's literally a cement bunker built into a dune or whatever that course is built on. Um, pretty sweet, actually. Very hidden. If you didn't know it was there, you'd be like, oh, this is here. I mean, they do a good job of telling you it's there, but um, yeah, that was kind of a cool feature. For me, variety, you know, there wasn't a ton of variety, which there just aren't usually on Lynx courses. I mean, the only other really true links course that I've played in Michigan are the two Arcadia courses. Um, Arcadia Bluffs is truly links because you're on, you know, quote, seaside with Lake Michigan. Um, you know, so, but that, that stands alone. I mean, there's just not many courses like that in the country, let alone anywhere else. But 
Um, and that's got a lot of variety just because of, you know, it's a hillier property and stuff overall. But, you know, besides not a ton of variety and being pretty typical, the par threes did offer some variations. You know, there were some uphill or a couple downhill. There were, there were five of them, so that was fun. There was a long one, like I said, number two. There were a couple short ones. Uh, I'll give it a three, seven, five for variety. Same. Yeah. All right. Um, overall, I would say, you know, I'd give it probably a four. You know, it's worth the play, uh, especially Ryan scored us a good deal. It's usually 150 bucks a guy. It was 75 bucks. We played Friday afternoon. It was hot. I it mean, like 90-some degrees and super humid, not much breeze, which that course would be really interesting slope-wise if it was windy, that's for sure. It, I mean, it plays a lot harder than a 119 slope. Um, you know, I'd definitely go again. I might pair it up in the same day, play 36 with one of the Stonehenge courses or Bedford Valley, just to give you a totally different look, especially if you play Stonehenge South, which is uh, much more of like a traditional parks type of course. Uh, again, I'll give it a four. It's not a top 100 in my book, but it's a great play anyway. Yeah, I agree. I'll give it a four. Definitely a fun course. I would play again. Uh, but yeah, I, I wouldn't say top 100. I mean, we played Arcadia. I mean, Pilgrim's Run is a great. Pilgrim's I think Run is Pilgrim's 70 Run bucks. Is a lot better than than that course. It is not. It's a different um, type of course. But yeah, I mean, that's right. that to me is a as a better course overall. No offense, Stonebrae, you are a good course that will be played again. But I'm not I'm not quite sure where maybe it gets in the top 100, especially after having played number Agreed. 16 this year. And, and you've played Arcadia. Yeah, which I mean, is top we played 50, Arcadia so. South and. Love, so yeah all right um you know, moving on but before the sprint new this week and probably for the duration of football season we'll see depending on what we got topic wise we're going to introduce a two minute drill before we finish with the sprint this will be focused mainly on our pick'em uh for the rest of the season but we do reserve the right to add overflow topics here as well um we could also call it overtime whatever but we're going to call it two minute drill Ryan's going to get us started this week with the games we're picking, how you can join us for the contest, a season-long contest, maybe get on the pod, maybe win a prize. I haven't figured all that stuff out yet, but Ryan, get us started. Yep, it's here, folks. Uh, week zero of college football, five games we're going to for pick them this week. We're going to do all five Division One games. Um, to get involved, uh, send me a text, send Andy a text with your picks for who you think is going to win the game. DM us on Twitter, send me something on Snapchat, Instagram, whatever you want. Uh, send, send us your thing. I'm going to keep a little Ryan's got a slick Google tally. Doc, yeah, i got so. a little Google Sheets going on with, with uh, tallies and points and whatnot. So we're going to do a bunch of games. I mean, from here on out after this week, we're going to do Big Ten games. Um, and then we're going to do uh, a couple other just marquee games. Like I'll just give an example. Week one, we're going to do all the Big Ten games. Uh, Bama, Miami, Georgia, Clemson, and Notre Dame, Florida State, as well as Louisville, Ole Miss, so a lot of different variety there, throwing some fun ones, but yeah, week zero, um, we're going to start off with the game that is on Fox at 1 p.m. in Champaign, Illinois, Nebraska versus Illinois, um, I'll go first, uh, do you want me to run through? Let's go game by game. Okay, uh, I believe Illinois is going to get the win here, I, I don't, I'm not sold on Nebraska, I talked him into picking Nebraska for our preview. Yeah, so. on, on my own, I picked I picked Illinois. I have money on them uh, in my little parlay I got going on. I think Illinois is going to get them. Um, I, I don't believe in Nebraska and what they're doing right now, especially since this NCAA strike down last week. I, I just don't know. 
Yeah, I, I've got the opposite. I talked him into Nebraska for our overall joint picks for our preview, so I'm going with Nebraska. All right, that's fair. Uh, game two, the lowly UConn Huskies that didn't even play last year, playing the Fresno State Bulldogs at Fresno State. Big Fres- underdog. Fresno State's a 27.5 point favorite. Yeah. Um, on CBS Sports Network, 2 p.m. kick, Eastern time, Fresno State all the way. Um, easy pick there. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't even think that the, you even have to worry about the spread. I, I mean, I would take money line in this game, but Fresno, uh, they'll cover that spread. They'll win that easily. Yeah, agreed. Um, the third game of the day, three thirty on ESPN, the Hawaii Rainbow Warriors at the Rose Bowl playing the UCLA Bruins. UCLA is an eighteen point favorite according to ESPN. Uh, UCLA is going to get the win here. I think that they could have a decent season, probably maybe an eight and four, nine and three. Get back to uh, Chip Kelly's old Oregon things. They got some decent players, good recruiting class. Bruins Playing an epic way. stadium, yeah, yeah. I got UCLA will smoke Hawaii. Um, you know, it's always it's different if teams go to Hawaii for games. Which, by the way, Hawaii can't even have fans. I don't Michigan think State so the played early there season. once and lost. Correct. Yeah, it's it's not an easy trip to make because you get kind of caught up in the allure of Hawaii and the long trip. And even though this isn't a super long flight from Honolulu to L.A., it's like three, three and a half hours with the wind at your back. Uh, yeah, UCLA wins this one and wins it going away. Yeah, should be should be fun just watch it, though. Good colors, good jerseys. Uh, the University of Texas Western. Oh, wait, no, El Paso now. UTEP. The mi- formerly the Miners. I think they still might be the Yeah, they're still the Miners. Versus the New Mexico State Aggies. Uh, two teams that ESPN ranked as like the – Bottom ten in college football. Uh, not even on TV. This game. Um, really in today's no, day, not, not on, on TV. TV. I yeah. It's probably streaming on like YouTube TV. Peacock or... Plus. Something. <laughs> I don't know. I've got New Mexico State. Utah's favored by ten. I've got New Mexico State. I'm going with the upset here. Uh, I boy. I mean, I know nothing about the team, so I got to rely on Vegas. Vegas usually knows what's going on. Uh, I'm gonna go with. Uh, Texas Western, a.k.a. UTEP. All right. And going to our last game of the day, uh, this is a 10 p.m. kick out in San Jose, San Jose State, playing host to Southern Utah. Yes, the Spartans. San Jose State is a 22-point favorite. Uh, Games on CBS Sports Network. Um, San Jose State's definitely going to get the win here. Uh, Spartan Stadium in San Jose. Yeah, I got it. I got it. wrong colors, blue and yellow, but I got yeah, I got to go with that too. I'll go with San Jose State. All right, that's the five for this week. Um, next week we got a whole bunch more. So yeah, for this week we're gonna throw Lions games in there. Yeah, we'll, the we'll Lions throw some Lions start. in there. I mean, probably be mostly losses, but that's okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, send me your picks, send Andy your picks, and yeah, we'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll say uh, what's our first game's one o'clock on Saturday. So get your picks to us by noon on Saturday. This Saturday, that is. Um, if you want to play, you can miss a week. That's fine. We, you know, have yet to determine exactly how we're going to have this go down. I don't know if we'll always have a guest picker uh, or not. Probably not next week. Maybe for the, the big week after, weeks or yeah. big games or something like that. So um, we will do a running contest, though. So you don't want to miss much um, because if you uh, are a mainstay, then you got a much better chance to win whatever prize we come up with. So, all right. That said, now let's end with our usual sprint. Some of these are going to be a little bit golf-related. Um, number one, Ryan, Liberty National is a cool 
$1,000 to join. What would you pay max for a single round of golf? Yeah, I'll say 200 That's stretching it probably for me, but 200 Well, I will just say that, ask that question thinking that you're not on a current, I don't have a job budget. Like, what would, like, you're Two, I'd age. say, no, I'd say, okay, I'll, I'll move up to $400. Arcadia Bluffs is, Double you know, okay, 400 all right. Um, speaking of golf, what would your go-to Sunday golf attire be? You know what? I like to change it up when I golf. I mean, there's nothing that I wear a lot. I, he wears knickers. Yeah, you know. I, I, I think hat. anything with a with my Blyfield hat, that's my classic um, gray Nike hat that I got at Blyfield Nike camp in like 2013 or something. So that's that. anything with that. I, I don't really have a go-to. All right. You can have one this year. These may be improbable, they may not, but you can have one of these. MSU in the Final Four or MSU in the Big Ten Championship game? Michigan State Final Four. All right. And last, favorite football movie character? Yeah, it's got to be from one of my favorite movies of all time, Coach O'Shea, Danny O'Shea, the real Coach O'Shea. From the Little Giants. All right. For me, I mean, I already paid... 450 times two for Ryan and I to play uh, at Harbor Town. I know Pebble Beach is yeah, six okay. seven hundred. I mean, I would say for a course like that, that's like a once in a lifetime. I wouldn't do it all the time, but I, I would say I'd pay 750, not much more than that. And to join, uh, no way I would pay even close to. I'm maybe 5k to join, but you can find you can negotiate your way into a course and not pay that kind of money to join. My Sunday go-to attire, I mean, we don't play every Sunday per se, but if I was a tournament golfer and I was playing regularly, my Tiger Red would be Michigan State Green, um, whether it's solid or it's got some sort of a white stripe or a pattern or whatever, and light gray slacks, that would be my go-to look. Um, Can I have one this year? (sighs) Boy, you know, it's tough for me to say because I always want Michigan State in the Final Four in basketball. I think that's honestly a lot more realistic so I'm going to go with MSU in the Big Ten Championship game because I think that's way less realistic especially having heard our Ohio State preview Uh, so I'm going to go MSU in the football Big Ten Championship game favorite football movie character man so many to choose from lots of great football movies you could go Icebox from Little Giants you could go Billy Bob from Varsity Blues which I watched again last night and I highly recommend you could go Rod Tidwell from Jerry Maguire but I gotta go Rudy even if he was offsides. All right, Ryan, hit us up with some final social media reminders. Yep, follow us on Twitter, Final Score 35. You know the drill. Uh, send us your stuff. We're excited for college football. I'm sure you guys are too. Fox Cup playoffs, two events left, NFL in a couple weeks. Let's go. That's it for this week. Get on Twitter. Get your picks in play. Holler at us with topic ideas. We know you're out there. Engage. And if anyone is interested in joining our sponsor roster or has a gig for him, shoot Ryan a note. Thank you again to Team Anders Realtors, our presenting sponsor, our faithful presenting sponsor. Learn more about how Team Anders can help you with your realty needs at teamanders.com. Meantime, as Steve Entman told Zolfart in Little Giants, just remember, football is 80% mental and 40% physical.